the plebiscite bruised every element of me. It bruised the person that's been a member of the party for 30 years, who's a constitutional conservative, who believes in institutions. The plebiscite was such a significant deviation from the way that we do things in our country uh, that that bruised me. Is it on? Look, I'm going to uh, shirt front, Mr Putin. I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. I will not. No, wait, it, it is on? Uh, you bet you are. Uh, you bet I am. I don't like it. Oh, fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate. Well, may we say God save the Queen. Because nothing will save the Hello everybody and welcome to episode 15 of Is It On BuzzFeed Australia's political podcast. My name is Alice Workman and sitting across from me in Canberra here for the last sitting week of the first half of 2017 is the one and only <laughs> Mark <laughs> DiStefano. Mark, hello. Alice, Alice Workman, I'm so good. You've got a fidget spinner next to your... Laptop. Yes, our producer Nick Ray brought one down for me so I could see what all the hype is about and has spent the last week laughing at me because I'm not really, I can't do it. That's pretty good. Oh. Are you into the fidget spinner craze? No. Do you understand it? Do you understand the craze? Like, as in, you've used it the last couple of days. Is it addictive? Um, once you figure out how to do it, I guess it could be addictive. My hands are either too small or incorrect. For uh, <laughs> optimal usage of the, a, the fidget widget. So I have um, decided to not steal it from Nick and give it back, I guess. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, I really should put it down. I guess it is quite addictive. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> See, so I don't drink coffee. Imagine me on coffee with a fidget spinner in question ah, time. Ah, ah. Okay, well, on the show this week, we're chatting to a man that the Australian Financial Review called unfailingly polite. Wow, what yeah. a descriptor for a I senator. Know. Liberal senator for Western Australia, Dean Smith. He's the only gay liberal politician in the Senate. And at the moment, he's leading a push for the Australian government to do more about gay people who are being persecuted in Chechnya. That's a really fascinating issue that a lot of people don't know much about. So I'm really looking forward to hearing it and hearing about what he's got to say. Yeah, well, he'll also be chatting about the future of the trigger word plebiscite <laughs> um, in a minute. But first, let's run through this week's Fast Five, the biggest stories in Australian politics. Fast Five, number one. Let's just start with the big gun. Yeah, let's it's go. the biggest story of the week. Gonski hey. 2.0. The government did a big sidestep. That's a state of origin football term for anyone <laughs> listening. Uh, they did a big sidestep of the Greens and they struck a deal with the Senate crossbench to pass the $23.5 billion school funding package we have to now call Gonski 2.0. Now, to get anything through the Senate, the government need 10 out of the 12 crossbenchers. Corey Bernardi, the ex-Liberal Party Senator, gave a firm no, he would not nope. be supporting this. But the four One Nation senators, the three Nick Xenophon senators, Jackie Lambie, Darren Hinch, and the new senator, Lucy Gattucci, all agreed to vote the package through in return for a few amendments. Now, these amendments are particularly important and they're quite interesting. They managed to negotiate an extra $4.9 billion for schools on top of the $18.6 billion promised in the May budget, which takes us to the total of $23.5 billion. And not only will there be more money, but the money will be rolled out sooner. So it'll be over six years, not over 10 years, meaning the whole thing will have to be negotiated again in six years, but it also means more money for schools in the meantime. Nick Xenophon is calling the, the deal a huge breakthrough for schools that 
and this is quite a stab at labour, finally delivers the real Gonski. The real Gonski. The real Gonski. Not that fake Gonski that they delivered when they were in power. At the real Gonski. Now, Labor and the Greens have both opposed the bill. Uh, Labor are backing in the Catholic schools who say that this package rips money out of them and the Greens couldn't get themselves together to get their, to get their independent state parties to agree to anything. In a nego- It really looked like at, there was a point this week where the Greens might properly negotiate with the government and get something through, but here's, that didn't here's happen. Here's how the Greens described it to me, though. It's like when you're playing cards and you're playing, like, poker or something and what you do is you want to essentially bring up the the bet to suck in as many people as possible oh. and then you just then you fold so you don't actually have to so you, then you don't actually have to play yeah right I'd, so it's like at an auction when you try and yeah, up the bid when you don't an actually want to buy is something a better, a better <laughs> fucking well the nick xenophon team said that the current gonski funding agreement is about to run out and if it runs out, then the Abbott cuts to education will come in. So something needs to be decided upon. So the uh, basically they said, well, we're going to vote this through. It's the best deal that we've got at the moment. And, you know, if or when the Labor Party come back into power, then they can just chuck some more money at schools. Mm, but my money uh, into the pot. But my, t- my Tweet of the Week goes to... Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week goes to Cory Bernardi, who said... Quote, government doing sneaky deal that will cost extra $4.9 billion over 10 years to sway crossbench. Spending like drunken socialists. Hashtag Ospol. Hashtag a better way. And didn't Senator James McGrath say that accused Labor of being spending like drunken sailors or something like that? Hmm. There was a drunken sailors it's reference It's quite a fun, fun phrase to throw around. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and just a quick side note, it was in this Gonski debate when Pauline Hanson uh, said that kids with a disability such as autism should be removed from mainstream schools because they're holding other kids back and they put a strain on teachers and schools and that has caused a lot of backlash. Yeah, well, number two of the Fast Five is citizenship changes or the changes that will include higher English standards if you want to become a citizen. So earlier this week, Labor took the step and they decided to know they are going to vote against these big citizenship changes. If people remember, it was the Aussie Values press conference that was in April where these changes were announced. Now, there's going to be a big debate in Parliament over the next couple of months. I mean, obviously, there's the winter break, but the the main part of it is whether we're going to force people who become citizens to have a quite high standard of English. And what it, that actually is, is they need to score a level six on what's called the IELTS English test. And now you can look it up online and you can see some of uh, the comprehension questions and they are hard. Let me just say, they're really, really hard. Yeah, you actually, we were going to try and do, do some. We're going to try and do some that I'm like, oh, my brain hurts. I don't think I could do Anyway, them. Peter Dutton has used this issue to wedge labor all week, saying that they're, of course, um, soft when it comes to screening possible citizens. But if we're talking about tweets of the week, my tweet of the week goes to Usman Khawaja. Who? Uh, Usman Khawaja, he is a batsman for the Australian cricket team. I don't know if he's still in the side at the moment but he tweeted um quote tweeted a tweet about the uh about the english changes he said i didn't speak in quotes english good when i became a citizen and i still don't like vegemite would i fail values test question mark hashtag tough language hashtag speak well i like hashtag speak well speak well number three is hashtag not my debt this is the greens and labor dominated senate 
Committee, which handed down a report this week calling for Centrelink's automated debt recovery program, also called the Robo Debt Recovery Program, to be suspended until it fixes, quote, fundamental lack of procedural fairness. Now, not surprisingly, this report was written by Labor and the Greens, so of the 21 recommendations, the recommendation to shut down the program was not uh, accepted well by the Liberal senators who've written a dissenting report. Um, they say the program shouldn't be shut down, but they did say that it does have fundamental flaws and it could have been fixed sooner and it should have been fixed sooner and to avoid all of the problems that happened with it. Now, the report found that the biggest problem is the automated computer program which calculates debts by matching data from the tax office and Centrelink. Thousands of people were overpaid. I think it was one in five mm. of all debt letters was found to be fake debt. Well, let's not bring in the Incorrect fake debt. Thing. Incorrect um, debt. So the committee wants the computer program completely scrapped uh, and the Human Services Department to manually calculating debts. They also think that the 10% debt recovery fee put on these debts should be waived and that more Centrelink staff should be hired because um, there was a report that found that 42 million phone calls to Centrelink went unanswered in the last year because they just didn't have the staff to pick up the calls. Yeah, but also the 42 million unanswered calls were due to, what was it? There's these apps that allow people yeah, to... Yeah, it's like automatic- robo-calling. Yeah, it's like... If it you- automatically redials. Yeah, so if you're trying to get onto Centrelink, you just download this app and it allows you to just continually call them. Yeah. Because 42 million missed calls it's is, a lot. is a lot. It's a lot, but, you know, if you have to call Centrelink... 10, 20 times before they pick up. Yeah. It's not very good. Social Services Minister Christian Porter says, well, I refuse to apologise for the program and this report is political and nonsense. And he says he's focused more on the legislation he introduced to Parliament this week, which is drug testing people on welfare. Number four of the Fast Five of the last parliamentary week is about George Christensen and penalty rates. Um, Stay with me here. I know I can feel your eyes rolling, but it's interesting because George Christensen, the rogue MP from Queensland of the Liberal National Party, actually crossed the floor this week. It didn't really receive that much attention because there's been so much craziness with things like Gonski and Pauline Hanson and all that sort of stuff. But Basically, he introduced this private member's bill um, saying that they want he wants to reverse the Fair Work decision that would um, allow cuts to penalty rates. And one of the reasons for this is actually because they've found that his electorate up in North Queensland actually includes a lot of people that are on penalty rates. Mm. And so he does this private member's bill, but it's got a catch in it, which is the reason why it was never going to get Labor support. It would also stop unions bargaining away penalty rates in EBAs. Now... Obviously, this is a really complicated thing, and it's all about industrial relations, laws, and all that sort of stuff. But, like, long story short, unions, when they do negotiate EBAs, so, like, big contracts for a lot of employees, they can can bargain out penalty rates for other things, like maybe more salary. But what is interesting is what happens is Labor's bill to stop the penalty rates comes before the parliament. On the first and the second round of the voting, he's not there. But on the third round, he shows up and he actually crosses the floor and sits with the Labor Party. But he already knew by that stage that the vote was going down. Yeah, yeah it went and, down 72 to 73. And that's right. So it was a sad loss. Interesting to see George Christensen cross the floor. And it's something that I think that you spoke to Senator Dean Smith about a bit later in this I podcast. did, I did. The George Christensen thing is quite funny because he said, oh, well, it wasn't a political stunt and I put my private member's bill up and it proves it. But... You did wait 
until you knew the vote was going to fail before you went out there. Yeah, so I don't know. I think maybe that, I think that maybe a bit like, stunty. But what is politics if not just it's for, a half stunt, like a succession of stunts anyway? A so stunt. what is the last of the fast five? Okay, Mark, I've got an update <laughs> from last week's bin juice for number five, and that is about the tampon dogs. Actually, since I keep talking about tampons, people keep sending me articles about, about the tampons. Tampon no, no, about tampons in general. Wow. In in the Amanda Bynes film, she's the man. <laughs> they use tampons uh, when people get nosebleeds because you can. They perfectly fit up your nose and they absorb blood. Would it? How? Okay, I'm going to expose now my uneducatedness around tampons. If blood were to hit the tampon, it's supposed to expand, right? It expands slightly, yeah. Slightly or enough to like get lodged in your nose? Well, it expands to the size of the cavity, cavity around it. So, right. So, if you were having blood, I've nose never personally done it for a bleeding s- nose, but in the movie they did it and it worked out well. Anyway, so tampon tax, back to what we were talking about. The Greens moved the motion I was talking about last episode where they wanted to tie the scrapping of the tampon tax to the new GST mm. on online products. Now, they moved it in the Senate and it didn't pass and the Labor Party joined with the government to vote against the scrapping of the tampon tax. Mm. A lot of people out there might not realise this, but Bill Shorten said at the last election that under a Labor Party that he leads, if the Labor Party got into government, they wouldn't be scrapping the tampon tax. So Labor's uh, health spokesperson, Catherine King, went on the project and got absolutely roasted by Carrie Bickmore. She got, got, like... You know, there are a few times where I think politicians forget that they're talking to people who don't talk about politics all the time Mm. and aren't going to take BS when it comes Mm. to stuff. I think that Catherine King didn't realise that Carrie Bickmore had not come to play. (laughs) No. Yeah. Roll the tape. The problem we've got, obviously, is the states and territories uh, are dependent on the revenue. They've got funding for public hospitals, all the things that they're funding. So we've got to find a replacement for it, and that's going to be the challenge. Uh, But I think it's actually really important that we do it, and I think the more we talk about it, let's hopefully we can actually get it done this time. Catherine, the problem is when you start saying things like we're going to have to find other ways to fund hospitals, and it makes everyone that's going, how are we paying the GST on tampons, go, well, if it's funding hospitals. Like, it feels like... That's a shame that that's where the conversation ends because, in principle, it just shouldn't be there. But then people aren't wanting hospitals, you know, defunded. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like either that or that. Yeah, no, and, and that's, I just use that as an example. But I think, you know, it was Paul Keating who said, don't get between, you know, the, the premiers and a bucket of money. And that's the issue you've got. They're reliant on the GST as a form of revenue. And every time you take something off, you've got to then say, well, there's less money. So I was just saying, you know, they've got budgetary pressures too. Um, you know, some of that's in education, some of it's in other areas. This issue is not dead, Mark. <laughs> it will not be dead. It's until... still bloody. Ha, 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 ha. It's not an issue to laugh about, but it was a great pun. Thank you very much. Our guest on the podcast this week is Liberal Senator Dean Smith, who is the only gay Liberal member in the Senate. He's from Western Australia. And I tell you what, I think there are a couple of interesting things that come up in this interview, not least persecution of gay people around the world. And you do go into that, but also he's got you questions about where the hell is that ruddy plebiscite that we've been talking about for 12 months. Let's roll the interview. 
Last week, the Labor and Liberal Party joined forces in a bipartisan move you rarely see in the Senate chamber. They moved a motion calling for a stronger international action against the persecution of LGBTI people in the Russian Republic of Chechnya. One of the senators behind this move is Dean Smith, the only gay Liberal senator. Senator, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thank now, you. for anyone who might not be across across it, what is currently happening to gay people in Chechnya? Well, what we have been hearing and what was revealed at Senate Estimates, which gave birth to the notice of motion that myself and Penny Wong moved in the Senate, is increasing evidence, uh, reliable evidence, that uh, Chechen authorities are persecuting, are torturing, are doing severe damage to the um, to the you know the civil liberties of LGBTI people in Chechnya. Now, I'm sure it's happening elsewhere in the world. Uh, my observation is that these things need to be called out. Uh, what was revealing uh, is that the Australian government had been doing some work behind the scenes with other other governments, six representations to the Russians. Um, so I was pleasantly surprised. But one of the things I've learnt uh, in the first five years in this job more generally is it is important to be visible on LGBTI issues in the parliament. Um, that is certainly gay marriage and other things, but it's also important to be visible in regards to human rights abuses affecting LGBTI people around the world. Well, one other case that's gotten uh, quite a lot of media attention is in Indonesia, where mm. gay men have been publicly caned. Should the Australian government be doing more to help LGBT people being persecuted? Well, short answer is yes, and there's a number of reasons why it should be doing more. If we are arguing to the international community that we should have a seat on the Human Rights Council of the United Nations, which we are doing, then it's important for us to be very, very clear about what our values are generally, but also specifically in regards to the treatment um, and the human rights um, liberties of LGBTI, LGBTI people around the world. And this, is, this was where I was a bit curious. I was curious to know, as we are preparing and running a campaign for the Human Rights Council at the UN, were we tempering our attitude to some human rights issues in order to secure votes from certain countries or certain regions in the world. What do you mean by that? Well, um, you know, we know it's all politics. Uh, sometimes people uh, might sort of reserve their positions or not advocate as strongly on some issues in order to secure votes. To um, appease other countries. To appease other countries. Uh, when I went to Senate Estimates, um, I was pleased to hear about how successful our campaign is going for the human rights seat, but to be reassured that the approach is to be clear about our values to the international community so that if we do get elected, people know that those are, those are values that we will represent and advocate uh, at the Human Rights Council. So, But um, one of the observations I've, I've come to, like I said, after the first five years, it is very, very important to be visible on LGBTI issues in the parliament. Now, when I started, I was less visible. Uh, when I when I started, people said, oh, well, you don't need to say that everyone knows you're a gay man. Well, I'm not so sure that's true anymore. I think it is very, very important that people stand up for issues, that they champion causes when they come to the parliament. Mm. Uh, and it is important for gay parliamentarians to represent and stand up on gay issues. Now, we'll come at issues from our own philosophical perspective, um, but it is important to be a constant champion of these things. So what, should the, what do you think the Australian government should be doing? How can they help out in 
in the in the LGBTI persecution space? Well, in the in regards to Chechnya, what we what was revealed is that the Australian government had asked for, and the Russians have committed to doing an independent review uh, of the allegations around the torture and uh, uh, abuse in Chechnya. So the first okay. thing we need to do is to make sure that that happens, mm-hmm. that that report is publicly available, uh, and then we can make an assessment on what sort of further efforts the Australian government needs to needs to go to. But, you know, clearly marriage is an important issue that needs to be resolved in this parliament, I would argue. Um, there are other LGBTI issues as well. Um, I do a lot of work in the HIV space um, as the chair of the parliamentary liaison group on HIV, STIs and bloodborne viruses. Not the sexiest, excuse the pun, not the sexiest <laughs> work of the of the parliament, but very, very necessary work. Mm. Uh, I'm concerned about what crystal meth use in the community means for safe sex, safe sex practices? And is there a link between HIV infection rates and crystal meth use? Again, not sexy, not the sorts of issues that people necessarily want to talk about, but you know, Parliament is a broad place. Coming back to same-sex marriage in a minute, mm. uh, in, in light of what's happening in Indonesia and Chechnya, do you think the Australian government should be upping its refugee intake, focusing on persecuted LGBTI people? Well, the government has a very generous humanitarian program. What I would be interested in making sure is that if there are legitimate cases of uh, of abuse, uh, if people in Chechnya and other countries want to seek asylum in our country because they are being persecuted for their sexual orientation, mm. then I hope that our humanitarian program would work with that, would support that, and if it's necessary, give these people you know, a safe place to live like Australia. Do you think that we should be focusing in on areas closer to Australia? So what's happening in Asia and Indonesia? I, I, I would think so. I would think so. And in the same way that our foreign aid budget uh, over the last few years has sort of recalibrated itself to focus on the region that is most closest to us, mm. I think that arguing for uh, respect, arguing for civil, civil liberties for LGBTI people in our region is the first thing we should be doing. Is this something you've spoken to... The immigration minister about specifically. Well, this, this is not 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 specifically, but it is an area that I want to give more focus to um, over coming months and years. I think the situation in Indonesia has been alarming. I think people are surprised that it's been allowed to happen. Um, I would argue that. In our country, it's easy to see the substantial progress we've made in terms of respecting um, the choices of LGBTI people. But you don't have to look too far around the world to see that that progress is not being enjoyed by everyone. And in fact, some countries are regressing. And Michael Kirby has had a lot, has a, has had a lot to say about this in his role. Um, I've given speeches reflecting on the sorts of comments that Michael Kirby uh, has made. So mm-hmm. it requires constant vigilance. Okay, well, moving on to a maybe a lighter topic. <laughs> uh, there have been some very heated coalition party room meetings lately. Now, you yourself get to sit in the coalition party mm. room and lap this all in. And I was hoping you could provide us with a, a little bit of insight about what it's like to be in those rooms. Uh, you know, most notably, Tony Abbott maybe have, maybe have told a colleague to go F himself <laughs> in the party room last week. What was it like to, to hear this language being thrown around? Well, you know it as well as I do that I can't possibly sort of, you know, <laughs> the re- reveal the machinations of the coalition party room. I think people would be surprised to know it's more boring than it is exciting. <laughs> oh, really? It is more boring than it is exciting. Um, everyone gets to have their say. Uh, some people choose not to have their say. Uh, I've certainly in my five years uh, not hesitated to get to my feet and share my points of views. Uh, Often they've been at odds with those of my colleagues, 
But, you know, when I was coming to my political consciousness, one of the key things that drew drew me to the Liberal Party was the fact that here are a set of values that I subscribe to, but if there were important issues that I had to exercise or wanted to exercise my own view or my own conscience on, here was a party that gave me that freedom to do that. Now, that freedom exists for everybody. Well, not everyone Not everyone chooses to use it, though. One of your colleagues chose to use it this week, George Christensen, crossed the floor in a, to vote with the Labor Party to try and reverse the, the cuts to weekend penalty rates. Um, Rob Harris from the Herald Sun, who works down the corridor, tweeted that an observation from one Liberal MP is that George might have just opened the floodgates for other MPs to cross the floor on same-sex marriage. Do you agree? Well, I think we don't want a situation where people have to cross the floor. I think the ideal situation on the issue of same-sex marriage, just to name one, is to have a free vote. And it is allowed, and, and the free vote doesn't mean that people are forced into a particular position. It allows everyone the freedom to exercise a vote in accordance with their own views, in accordance with their religious views, in accordance with the electorate views. So, you know, having free votes on, con- on, on issues of social conscience isn't a new thing, and it's certainly not a new thing for the coalition. Under John Howard, 11 years in government, five conscience votes, mm. one every two and a half years. So this is not sort of new territory for the coalition. How do we get through this? If we trust the way we've done things before, we will be able to manage this issue respectfully and, I would argue, get a very, very good outcome. Oh, you're nearly up to five years. That's two conscience <laughs> votes, isn't it? Well, Fairfax were yep. reporting earlier in yep. the week that um, the we're about to head into a winter recess, but the second mm. half of the year, the coalition is going to try and resolve the same-sex marriage issue Is that right? Is that what you've heard, that your colleagues want to make a move in the next six months to either call for a free vote or bring back the plebiscite? (laughs) Well, I think there's a better way forward. Okay. Uh, And that is the consensus report, the Senate report on the government's exposure draft. Mm -hmm. So the Senate earlier this year, late last year, went and took submissions from a whole variety of people about the government's own exposure draft, that same-sex marriage bill that would have been put to the parliament had we had a plebiscite. Mm -hmm. Now, that was a consensus report. Conservative Liberal senators, uh, Labor senators, Senator Kokoski-Moore from the Nick Xenophon Party came to a consensus view about how you take the same-sex marriage debate forward. And importantly, that is about trying to accommodate religious protections, which I would argue is the Australian way, is a sensible way forward. Yes, it wouldn't enforce churches to to hold gay marriages. Exactly, that's exactly right. And I think that is a view that is widely held across the Australian community. So what we have is we have a Senate report. Now, as boring and as tedious as that sounds, it is a blueprint. And once people start to put their mind to that report, look closely at what it says, then take that report and transform it into a legislative solution, then we might start to get some progress. This is perhaps a little bit more detailed an issue than it has been before. Yes. But I'm an optimist on this. We can move forward. And it would be uh, – the legislation would be – government hands would be on it. It wouldn't be a, a cross-bench well, it bill. Could, well, it could be a government bill. Um, I think it's more likely to be a cross-party bill. Um, it would get more support it if it was a cross-party bill. It would get more support. Um, I think this issue is above politics now. My strong view is oh, – people say, oh, people aren't talking to me about it anymore. They're embarrassed about the fact it has not been resolved. They can't understand why our parliament just can't get on with it, make a decision, deal with it, and then move on to other issues. So is the plebiscite dead? I hope so. 
I hope so. I have done. Has every, it been mentioned? I have. I no. No, it hasn't no. been mentioned, and there's been no mention of bringing it back in the next six months. Uh, well, no one's going to talk to me about bringing the plebiscite back <laughs> because <laughs> they know my position. I mean, and the the plebis the plebiscite bruised every sort of element of me. It it bruised the person that's been a member of the party for 30 years who's a constitutional conservative who believes in institutions the plebiscite was such a significant deviation from the way that we do things in our country parliamentary representative democracy uh, that that bruised me uh, as, as as an openly gay man I couldn't understand why were why are we talking about a plebiscite on only this issue no one's talking about plebiscites for euthanasia no one's talking about plebiscites what what is it about this issue that people think that parliament can't be relied upon to do what parliament does that was bruising the plebiscite i hope is dead no one supports it anymore now you said you wanted to be uh seen as being visually open for lgbti Mm. issues does Mm. that mean that in the next six months you're going to be talking about a way forward and trying to move your party room into into a solution on same-sex marriage is it on the agenda in the next six months look i feel a sort of a moral slash ethical obligation i oppose the plebiscite i said to people that i trust that parliament can deal with this now i do feel a sense of responsibility to do everything i can to help the issue come before Parliament so that Parliament can deal with it. And I do think it's very, very reasonable for people to expect that the issue will be put before the Parliament at least once, hopefully only once, in this 45th Parliament. Now, we're only 12 months into the 45th Parliament, um, but I do believe that Parliament can be relied upon to do its job on this issue. I do feel a sense of obligation because I oppose the plebiscite. And some, some... People have different views about whether the plebiscite would have been successful or unsuccessful. I don't think that matters anymore. Um, But I took a clear position that the plebiscite was bad for our public polity. Um, I feel an obligation to do everything I can. And that's why I participated on the Senate Select Committee report with Senator Louise Pratt, with Senator Janet Rice, uh, and with my Conservative Liberal colleague, Senator Fawcett. So... um, as I said recently in an opinion piece, it is inch by inch. Mm. But it is important to get it right. Um, you can't keep trying on these issues and constantly failing. It is important to get it right. Now, WA have a lot of strong opinions about GST. So I just mm. wanted to ask you, what do you think about the tampon tax? There was a, <laughs> there was a move by the Greens to, to scrap it mm. this week in the Senate. They wanted to tie the, the, the loss of the tampon tax money into the new GST on online uh, products. Do you think that the tampon tax is unfair? Should it be well, I'm scrapped? Grateful. I'm grateful we're not on television because I always blush when these it sorts of... It makes men very uncomfortable. The, That's these why sorts I like of bringing things it up. Come up. But I'm a, I'm a broad-based consumption, consumption tax man. Mm. I think that, you know, we talk about, you know, people talk about increasing the rate of the GST, those sorts of things. I absolutely believe that the rate, uh, the, 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 the base of the GST should be broadened, not narrowed, because uh, that's a more efficient way of collecting the goods and mm. services tax. So, so it doesn't it matter condoms. if it's condoms, yep. doesn't matter if it's tampons. Uh, I believe that the tax should be applied as broadly as possible. So uh, the GST is currently on uh, tampons, but it's not on condoms and lube. Would you be happy for it to be broadened across to condoms and lube? Yes. Excellent. Great. I'm glad it's that not, we both agree not, it's, on it's, that. It's not going to change my. I won't say that. <laughs> I won't say that. That's too far. It's okay. Yeah. Now, people listening to this podcast might have heard your name mentioned before in a segment called 
gallery whispers. <laughs> uh, when I recall the time that you and I uh, were at an event and you didn't know who Scott Cam was, uh, can we get an update for the listeners? Do you now know who Scotty Cam is? You've given me a fantastic education. I was explaining, <laughs> I was explaining to some people that my popular culture doesn't sort of really extend beyond Lionel Richie and ABBA, and um, it's a real, it's a real deficient. People find it very curious that you know, chairman of the backbench communications committee, I would know more about these sort of you know television stars but it's a bit of a failing of mine but i'm learning slowly oh good who was mm. who was the best celebrity you've met in parliament russell crowe came here a few weeks ago oh at the midwinter ball i had a photo with leah sales lee sales yeah mm. i like her i think she's great she is great i don't know yeah I, an I abc an abc celebrity well, by, my, my, a, by a liberal background my That's secret my secret ambition's always been to be an abc newsreader oh is it yeah when i was a kid that's what i wanted to do headlining the perth news <laughs> to start, let's yeah. try there. <laughs> well, there Senator- is news in Perth. There is news in Perth. Well, Senator yeah. Dean Smith, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. I like the woman. I like the woman. on and I can report 
the parliamentary staff were not impressed. Gallery whispers. Gallery whispers. When Barnaby Joyce became Deputy Prime Minister, the next day he was seen walking through the courtyard outside Aussies, wearing a shirt covered in sweat, shorts and no shoes. No shoes. No shoes. Alice, what's your final whisper this week? Mark, for my final whisper, I've heard some gossip that is so Juicy, juicy, good. Juicy, juicy. And I've decided to bring in the person who the gossip is about and get them on the record to talk about its juicy, juicy goodness. <laughs> so it's time to introduce a guest for Gallery Whispers, Labor MP Peter Khalil. Peter Khalil, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. We have a thanks, Alice. we have a section called Gallery Whispers, which mm. is where we whisper uh, gossip that we've heard around rumors, rumors, rumors and gossip, the rumor yeah. mill around mm. Parliament House. Someone has told me an amazing piece of gossip about mm. you that I felt was too good to just whisper it on my own, and I thought I would bring you into the fold. Verification: Is it true mm. that you worked? at a bank that financed films mm. and turned down to finance the film Lord of the Rings. Yes and no. <laughs> no we turn okay, it so take the yes me bit, back. The yes bit is I worked, <laughs> one of my very early jobs out of uni was with Entertainment Finance Group, which was a subsidiary of Imperial Bank, a bank from Los Angeles, that financed independent film. And so, yes, I did work for them and I worked as a project analyst. And that basically, I got all these scripts from production companies and I would review the scripts and then we'd work out whether we funded those projects or lent money to, to the uh, producers. Uh, and we'd lend against distribution contracts for various territories and we'd lend what's called gap financing, which you, you lend against unsold territories. So you, you, know, you only get 90% 90, 90 of the, um, the funding from uh, contracts for distribution at the end of production, so they need the producers need the money up the front, up yep. front. So we did get a script from Peter Jackson, <laughs> Lord the of the Rings. The Peter Jackson. Yes, we got a script, the Peter Jackson, the early script for Lord of the Rings, and I was a big fan of Lord of the Rings. So I went of to my books. boss of the books, yeah, and I went to my boss. And I said, "We've got to, we've got to fund this. This is awesome." He was only asking for sixty billion. We've got to do it. Now, the way they used to finance film, or the, I think they probably still do, um, they had this book uh, called The Book, and it had a list of all the actors. A-list actors, B-list actors, and the, the revenue that they'd got from their films. So, so Tom oh, Hanks. the return was, rate. Yeah, the return rate right. of actors. So you had Tom Hanks probably, you know, up the top. This was in the late 90s, right? Tom Hanks was the biggest name, and then you had all these A-list actors and so on. And they'd do this sort of calculation, weird calculation, uh, about whether this would return in the cinemas or in various territories in the US and Europe, or whether it would go straight to video. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there was video back then, <laughs> or CD. Um, well, it was still video in the late 90s. Um, and, of course, all the cast that they had, or Jackson had early on for Lord of the Rings, was Viggo Mortensen, who I love. I think he's a fantastic actor. Orlando Bloom... But none of these people were known. Elijah Wood, small name? All small names. Well, at least in the late 90s, they became huge after Lord after, of the Rings. After the film. So my boss is like, this is not going to work. You know, these actors are The not formula gonna... doesn't add up. <laughs> it doesn't add up. And it, I, I, I left shortly thereafter <laughs> in frustration at that. But I, you know, I left because I wanted to do other things and I went and did a master's in international law and stuff. But um, I love the cinema and it was a great experience. I got to go to the Cannes Film Festival. I got oh, to... Wow. 
you know, uh, we, we, we actually funded a couple of really good independent projects. Um, the Once Were Warriors, which is a great New Zealand yes, franchise, New Zealand the, the, yeah. the sequel, and Till Human Voices Wake Us with Guy Pearce and Helen Bonham Carter, Whole Nine Yards with Bruce Willis. Uh, it was a few little you films like that. You financed the film a whole nine yards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that yeah, would have yeah. ticked all the boxes. Matthew Perry. Yeah, yeah. Was... Matthew Perry was big in the late 90s. <laughs> it was like huge. I don't know why, but he was huge. So anyway. what was the script like that you saw? Oh, it was great. I mean, it, it was very different than the final uh, versions because I think he cut it up. Well, I know he cut three. it up. In, he sort of stretched it out a little yeah. into the three um, or condensed parts of it and so on. But uh, it was a great script. And I, I, as I said, I thought Viggo Mortensen... He's a fantastic actor, but mm. he just wasn't an A-list actor at the time. Um, and sixty million is that a lot of money? Doesn't, no, they doesn't en- feel like a lot today. They ended up going to Harvey Weinstein company, and he he backed them, the and, whole and way. he made it big time on that <laughs> film, didn't he? All those three films. So they had a real missed opportunity there. We did have Anaconda, which went straight to video. Do you remember that one <laughs> with J Lo and with um, The Rock? Was it uh, The Rock? No, it was J Lo and Ice Cube. Oh, Ice Cube. <laughs> yeah. It was what big at early, actor. late 90s. It was a great film. <laughs> well, I guess really. J-Lo, she would have brought back. She well, as soon as we had J-Lo, it was like, <laughs> we could fund this. <laughs> so do you think that uh, your old bosses might feel a pang of regret, regret for not backing Lord of the Rings? Or? Probably. <laughs> they stayed in the industry. I did it, so <laughs> they're probably ruining it the to Hobbit this day. If the Hobbit came past their desk, oh, do you think they would have... They uh, probably have shivers every time they see a Hobbit or, a, or a, an elf or anything like that. <laughs> Because I went to Hobbiton when I was in New Zealand, oh, I, I and go the there. amount of money that Peter Jackson makes, yeah, just off Hobbiton, just every single day, just off Hobbiton. Can you go inside the house? Uh, you can go inside one of them, but yeah. they have all because they fill oh. them all with perspective. So there's all different door sizes, but yeah. you can get. Uh, they tell you whose doors they all are, and you can get your photos taken everywhere. And wow. you can go into the pub and and have a. Have oh, a really? Yeah. I've got to visit New Zealand now. It's I know great. why. I've got to go visit Tourism New Zealand. Tourism New Zealand. Yeah, 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 I'm all for it. Fantastic. <laughs> Peter, thank you so much for explaining your Lord of the Rings experience. <laughs> thank Hopefully you. we'll get you back on the podcast soon. Thanks very much, Alice. Cheers. I like Big Wama. I like Big Wama. I like Big Wama. That was more unhinged. Than usual, was I it? think. I feel I feel like it was just as unhinged as it's always been. I, it's much easier whispering with you when we're not <laughs> separated by 300 kilometres. But, um, yeah, well, gallery whispers. Before we wrap up this week, uh, let's take a quick look at two stories we didn't think got enough media attention. Mark, what is in your binges? Yeah, this is my binges this week, Alice, because it is dramatic and it's Ooh. complicated. Ooh. And I feel as though that our listeners really do need to know about it. So there are three government ministers who could face contempt charges and if they're convicted kicked out of parliament which i'm sure you would all agree would be trez controversial let me run through it quickly it starts last week when health minister greg hunt assistant treasurer michael sucker and human services minister alan tudge who has also been a former guest on this podcast he was gave quotes to the australian newspaper which were described by the newspaper at the time as an extraordinary attack it involved sledging victorian judges who were currently hearing a terror sentencing appeal well the courts were not happy at all they hauled them before a hearing last friday and asked them why they shouldn't be charged with contempt of court. The ministers didn't show up in person, but they instead were repped by the Solicitor General. After a very testy appearance, the Solicitor General, acting on behalf of the ministers, said that the men would actually withdraw the most fiery comments. 
Whoa, boy, this case, you need to know about it. Go to buzzfeed.com. There's an excellent primer from our colleague, Lane Sainty. Get into it, read up on it. It's Buzzfeed. super interesting. the website. Alice well, Workman. It's, well, it's quite interesting because by-elections historically go against sitting governments mm. because people are annoyed that they're having to vote outside a normal election period. If you had three, and they're all Victorian seats, mm. if you had to run three by-elections all in Victoria, ugh. but I mean, also... These guys could go to jail. Yeah, and look, that's extreme. That's but. extreme. Where we we they are not even charged yet. No, and then they have to go to a trial and then have to be convicted. But what is so interesting is that the Victorian judges who are involved with this are not impressed with how the whole thing has been going on. So, Alice, yes, tell me about your bin juice. Okay, my bin juice is about our newest senator. Uh, to Parliament. Her name is Lucy Gachui. She gave her first speech this week. Now, she's the senator who took Bob Day's South Australian Senate seat. She ran on the family first ticket at the last election. She was number two on the ticket. But when she um, took on Bob Day's seat, family first decided that they would join with Cory Bernardi's Conservative Australia Party, and she wasn't prepared to join with Cory Bernardi. So she is now an independent. So she's an independent senator and sits on, makes up part of the 12 people on the cross bench. And she gave a really interesting speech. She was talking about how she grew up really poor in Kenya. She was one of eight kids raised Catholic, but she's now a member of an African Christian ministry. She trained as an accountant in Kenya, but then she moved to Australia and she started a law degree at the age of 50, ended up working in the high court. And she was, uh, she just ended up being an intern in Bob Day's office. Um, and that's how she became to be involved with uh, Family First. She said that she'd spend her time in the Senate fighting for education, the elderly, getting people off welfare. And she also thinks that citizenship for migrants isn't a right, it's a privilege. Now, we don't know how she sits on a whole range of issues. She's only spoken about a really small few, but she and she hasn't given any press conferences. She's only given one interview, and that was to SBS. And uh, it's a it's a really great um, article. It was played up on the news. It's also on the SBS's website. Now, she in that article, she refused to give her position on same sex marriage. She said she wasn't ready. That's always a, that's always a warning sign. <laughs> she said she wasn't ready to give a view on whether or not she supported a plebiscite. But she said she's going to approach each issue that comes up in the Senate with a four-step process. One, what does the government want to do? Two, what is the opposition's take? What are the checks and balances and transparency measures? Three, she's going to use her legal and accounting brain to examine policy. And four, she's going to listen to the politics of the issue, which sounds like maybe she could be lobbied on issues. (laughs) Kind of feels like one and two. (laughs) (laughs) But the uh, one real-world example she gave of how this four-step process works is that unlike the Labor Party, she supported scrapping the tampon tax this week because ah. and she voted with the Greens in favour of scrapping it because she said it's a, quote, no-brainer, quote, I automatically supported the motion because I don't know how the GST found its way there in the first place. Amen, sister. I'm a mother of three daughters. You can imagine how much money we spend on that. Lol. She said it was common sense, Mark. There you go. Lucy Cacciucci, she is someone to watch, Mark. Now, that's all we have time for this week. (gasps) Parliament is about to go on a six-week break until August, um, but we will be back next week. Um, But next week is going to be the final episode of the first season of Is It On? Uh, We're going to take a short break to, I don't know, figure out if Gallery Whispers should stay or should it go. Mm. But you can tweet us at 
Workman Alice at Marta Steph. I want to say a big thank you to our producer, Nicholas Ray, to Lane Sainty, Nicola Harvey, Richard James, Peter Holmes, and the whole pod team. You can go to buzzfeed.com slash is it on or subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app, leave a rating and a review. But yeah, we're thinking about season two. So uh, hit us up with the ideas that you've Suggestions. got. Suggestions. And who, who do you want to be interviewed on this podcast? I'm yeah. always interested by that. Me too. Um, Mark, finally, just one more quick question. What do you reckon? Is it on? It's a very lukewarm on this week, Alice. It's very lukewarm. It's lukewarm beneath the surface. Things are not coming right to the top of the surface. What do you reckon, Nick? Is it on? Nah, Nick's Nick's saying it's not on. on. Well, that's it. Nick says it's not on. Thanks so much for listening. We will catch you next week. Bye. Bye.